It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, June 15th, 2023. I'm Andrew Hames, and this is Raven News. Petersburg is dealing with a surge of COVID-19 cases in the wake of several large public gatherings. Jennifer Briner is the chief nursing officer at Petersburg's Medical Center. She says it's impossible to know the exact number of cases in town because of the widespread use of home test kits. But from what she's seen in the past few weeks, she knows it's a lot. Um, we've definitely seen a lot of um, new COVID activity. I would say it's probably quite widespread in the community. We're, we're definitely seeing more people calling and letting us know that they have COVID or asking for um, Paxlovid treatment. Many people who catch the virus choose to test and recover at home, but a lot are getting diagnosed in the emergency room with more severe symptoms, fever, cough, sore throat, fatigue, and loss of smell. Briner says the influx of COVID patients coincides with large numbers of people traveling in and out of town in early summer. Petersburg hosted the Little Norway Festival in May, which drew huge crowds. Then hundreds more came out for two weddings that took place on the first weekend of June. Briner says COVID patients are arriving from visiting cruise ships as well. We definitely have had cruise ship passengers and crew, I believe, probably even. I'm not saying that that's how it's getting here. I'm just, but there are definitely people who um, we see from the cruise ships. Briner says Petersburg Medical Center is prepared to handle the wave of patients. They're well-staffed and well-stocked with Paxlovid, and there have been no COVID hospitalizations so far this month. But she encourages Alaskans to stay vigilant. The Alaska Department of Health recommends one of the updated booster shots for everybody six months and older. Those who are immunocompromised or over the age of 65 may be eligible for a second dose. Briner says those who have been exposed to the virus or are developing symptoms should take a test, although some home tests may not turn positive immediately. It takes sometimes a while for you to get enough of the virus kind of in your nasal area to turn the test positive. So the main story is that if you have symptoms, you should stay clear from people versus just saying, oh, I had a negative test and I'm free because that you might turn positive tonight or the next day. According to the latest and final weekly COVID update from the state's Division of Public Health, COVID-19 cases are slowly declining across Alaska. Most of those cases are caused by two Omicron subvariants. Alaska's COVID-19 public health emergency expired in May, and for the rest of the summer, the Division of Public Health will release its COVID report on a monthly basis. After a couple of setbacks, youth advocates of Sitka can now move forward with plans to create a residential treatment program for teens and young adults experiencing homelessness in Sitka. Earlier this year, the group had applied for a permit to convert a duplex into the facility, but was initially denied by the local planning commission. The nonprofit successfully appealed that decision before the Sitka Assembly on Tuesday. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. Youth Advocates of Sitka, or YAS, scored the $2 million federal grant to develop the residential treatment facility last year. Dubbed Coastal Haven, the pilot program would house around a dozen teens and young adults, providing them with mental health services, wilderness therapy, and life skills training. But the program hit its first snag in January when the Planning Commission denied YAS's first permit application to convert a duplex on Dodge Circle. The local nonprofit went back to the drawing board, this time landing on a duplex on State Highway Halibut Point Road. But in April, they were again denied their permit, this time on a split vote. The reason for the permit denial was twofold. 
The Planning Commission found the facility would affect the character of the neighborhood and found the R1 zoning incompatible. It also cited unified dissent of the neighbors. Amanda Johnson was one of the dissenting voices with concerns about safety and the HPR location. It's not just the safety of myself and my family. It is concerns about the safety for the clients at this residence being protected, being able to get to and from town and their privacy at this residence. It's not so much the neighbor's privacy is the concern. It's the fact that when they're sharing that beach, when they're in the house, they're they're in a fishbowl. Testimony from neighbors ranged from questions about YAS filing its appeal after the deadline to worries about privacy, noise, and other programming questions. And Britt Glannon, who said she helped circulate a petition that garnered 40 signatures, challenged the idea that the neighborhood pushback had been discriminatory in nature. This is actually about this house. It's not about YAS. It's about whether or not this house is a right place for this pilot statewide program. As YAS mentioned, they have almost two more years to find a more suitable location. I would highly encourage our community to come together to support YAS in doing that because this is not the right location for it. Several also said they felt like YAS hadn't done enough outreach to the neighborhood. Supporters of YAS challenged some of these concerns. Wendy Leverett called for the assembly to grant the appeal and said that the YAS facility needs to be in a neighborhood, even though she felt no matter what neighborhood they tried to move into, they'd get pushback. And I get why people are nervous. There are a lot of unknowns welcoming something like this into your own backyard, so to speak. They're youth. These kids have been hurt. These kids, these young people have been through more than we understand, and it wasn't their fault. The only hope they have of having a healthy, normal life is to be in a regular neighborhood and feel like regular people and learn what healthy is and what it looks like and what they could have. And Rachel Jones, who lived near another facility run by YAS, said she didn't find it had impacted her home value and she only noticed the police at the property twice. There was never any sirens, never any disturbance. Um, And in the same amount of time, I actually had uh, a neighbor call the police on us twice, once because they didn't like where he placed a fence post and once because one of our chickens got loose, which are, you know, the kinds of things that happen in a small, tight neighborhood. Um, and, And that particular house, I don't think, caused any more disturbances than my fence or my chicken did. In its appeal before the assembly, YAS argued that the Planning Commission, in denying the permit, had both overturned an application that met the conditional use requirements under city code and also violated the Fair Housing Act, which prohibits housing discrimination. YAS Executive Director Heather Murray said that if the assembly didn't overturn the Planning Commission's decision, they would file a housing discrimination report to the Office of Housing and Urban Development, the federal department that awarded the grant. And Murray submitted an additional stack of documents to the Assembly for review, including the organization's policies on noise and quiet hours and a request for reasonable accommodations for persons with disabilities under the Fair Housing Act. But when it came time for the Assembly to deliberate, they steered clear of the constitutional question of whether the permit denial was discriminatory. Instead, they kept most of their comments to city code and whether the application had met the threshold for the Planning Commission to approve it. Assemblymember J.J. Carlson said from her research and looking through YAS's proposal, 
they'd met those requirements. We've met the reducing of hazardous conditions by, you know, mitigating what they need for, for public health, which is like potential noise. I mean, this isn't a paint factory. <laughs> this isn't some sort of like, there's no downside here to, to housing people. And the rest of the assembly agreed. Assemblymember Crystal Duncan said when reviewing the materials, she'd expected to find a hole in YAS's mitigation measures, but she didn't. Do, did they end up having to give greater detail? Yes, because there was that public pressure to say, well, we want to know more. Tonight, they brought forward policies to say, we do have policies around noise. We do have policies around this. I feel like they have been uh, tested and required to rise above somebody who wanted to operate a business would have to do. The assembly found that YAS had met the six requirements for a conditional use permit under city code and voted to grant their appeal, making one adjustment to reduce the number of beds that YAS would serve by two. And while the decision was unanimous, most members acknowledged the pushback from neighbors, and Assemblymember Tim Pike said he hoped YAS would consider that moving forward. There's no, no winning, so to speak, in this environment. And that both sides actually, in this case, have quite a few points that uh, are, are quite good. So um, I hope that YAS has heard that they've had some work to do with their neighborhood. During her appeal, YAS Director Murray perhaps summed up best what's next for the organization now that they can move forward with purchasing the home on Halibut Point Road. YAS is a good neighbor, she said. We will show everyone we are a good neighbor, and if you give us our permit, we will prove you all wrong. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The Hecla Mining Company has been fined more than $140,000 by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency for mismanagement of hazardous waste at the Greens Creek Mine on Admiralty Island. The silver mine in the Tongass National Forest racked up five violations during a 2019 inspection at the site. Inspectors discovered that lead dust had escaped a storage building through a gap between the building's walls and its foundation. That dust contaminated the soil around the perimeter with toxic levels of lead. Hecla's Director of Government Affairs, Mike Satry, said the company has worked to fix that by removing the contaminated soil. And then we're just doing some ongoing sampling to make sure um, that we've collected all of it and we've redone the sheathing on the building, we've redone the insulation on the building um, to ensure that it will not leak through the building again. The mine was also cited for improper disposal of tools used to mine metal ore and air filtration bags from the mine's laboratory. Those items were not treated as hazardous waste, even though EPA inspectors found that they had high amounts of lead. Satry said the mine has changed procedures to address that violation too. Those items are now shipped out of state to a hazardous waste dump. The EPA requires that the company continue cleanup and monitoring efforts under the supervision of the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation. I'm Andrew Hames, and this has been Raven News.